Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. Shock it all in college basketball. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. I'm your host, Mike Calabrese. I'm joined by Tanner McGrath, and we're going to get into the four playing games at UD Arena in Dayton, Ohio. You can't bet every game in March Madness unless you bet the play-in game. So let's get you off to a good start, get you in the black build up a little uh, little bankrolls that you can throw your weight arounds on Thursday and Friday. Tanner, how are you thinking about the first two games that you're laying out and really the playing games in general? How do you go ahead and handicap these? Is there anything different from your usual methodology? Do you notice any trends year over year? How do you approach it? Um, nope, nothing different. I just come at it like I come at every other game. Um, I like to look a bit at um playing game history i mean texas southern played in this game last year so that's something to consider but other than that nope just handicap the game and bet it so you bring up texas southern they are locked in the 16 seed play-in game against i i'm gonna go ahead and limb here and say that they're not in-state rivals with texas am corpus christi but they are both from the lone star state so a little bit of state bragging rights on the line in addition to getting into the field of 64 how do you view this game between the tigers and islanders well, Breeze, it sure does seem like everyone is hopping aboard the Corpus Christi bandwagon. Um, they did go nine and three against the spread as an underdog this season, and they've won seven of their last eight, including a Southland title. Um, for the Islanders, it all starts on the defensive end. They force a lot of turnovers, and then they try to get the ball out and transition, something they do at a top 10 frequency nationally per uh, shot quality. That's going to be the key to this game because Texas Southern is an atrocious ball handling team. They're 353rd nationally in offensive turnover rate. Um, the Tigers are also a defensive minded team. Um, they ended up 13th nationally in defensive effective field goal percentage, but they're not as aggressive or chaotic. And they said they just contest shots. Well, specifically outside the arc. Um, they're one of the best teams nationally enforcing low quality threes per shot quality, but neither team shoots a lot of threes either way. Um, both like to run their offense on the interior. They attack the rim like Corpus Christi, um, transition is going to be huge for Texas Southern. They want to get on the open floor and, um, get the ball to its long wings, around 50th nationally in transition frequency when they are in the half court you're going to see a lot of pick and roll with a number of different facilitators um texas southern actually leads the country in bench minutes so you're going to see a ton of different players this is a good thing for the islanders because corpus christi was top 50 nationally in pick and roll defensive efficiency and was second in the southland they're really good against that set texas southern also crashes the offensive glass although both teams do that very well um you're going to get a bit of a rock fight these are two wildly inefficient offenses that tend to stall out in the half court so i was looking at the under but the problem is both teams want to run a lot and we're going to get north of 70 possessions so i'm just going to stay away instead 
I'm going to back Corpus Christi with the points. Um, it's about three and a half across the market. Got pushed down from four. Their defense matches up well, and they are undersized on the interior, but I expect Steve Lutz to minimize those issues with his game plan. It's also super nice that Texas Southern is a putrid free throw shooting team. So if the game comes down to fouls, we're in a good spot to either stay inside the number or get a backdoor. Um, outside of that, uh, I think either of these teams, whoever advances, probably gets blown out by Kansas. Um, Texas Southern size is probably better suited to stay with the Jayhawks. Uh, they have legit size in the interior with Gresham and Carl Nichols, but I don't like either going forward. I think you basically summed it up in the phrase rock fight. I think that is exactly what we're in store for here between the two 16 seats. You've seen some very ugly games over the years since they uh, decided to expand to 68 teams and allowing these head to head. I don't love the fact that, you know, you're an automatic qualifier, then you have to play a game to get into the field of 64. That being said, if they had to pick some teams, you know, these two in particular are not exactly begging to be in a showdown against a number one seed, but that's what's going to happen. One of them's going on to play the Jayhawks, and I agree. I think they're going to get fed right into the wood chipper. Just to keep, you know, this consistent, keep uh, everything online, I'm going to say with my 16 seed matchup, which is Wright State, the Raiders playing against the Bryant Bulldogs. I'm not going to pick a side here. I'm going to go right for the total because I think over 153 is begging to be bet. Let's start with Bryant. Peter Kiss, nation's leading scorer, over 25 points per game. He's also just gone nuclear in the last 10 games, close to 30 points per game. In addition, he's, you know, that, that rising tide lifting all of Bryant's boats up to 83 points per game in their last 10. They're 14th nationally in rim or three-point rate. 89% of their shots either come right at the rim or from three-point range, which is great from an analytics perspective when you're looking to push that number over the total, you know, speaks to their efficiency. And then on right state side, if they do get in a shootout, can they keep up? Absolutely. They have a legit big three. You got Tanner Holden, you got Grant Basile, and Trey Calvin averaging close to 44 points per game. It's a trio. Love that. According to shot quality, they're the fourth most efficient team when they do get to the rim, so they finish. And really, if we're talking about an over, I don't want to run into a team that wants to play slow. I don't want to run into either side You know, playing good defense. Both these defenses are not good. Bryant's 218th in adjusted defensive efficiency, Wright State 262nd. So really it just comes down to pace. Bryant is going to want to play super fast, seventh in adjusted tempo, according to Ken Palm. And I think what's going to happen is Peter Kiss has been waiting for this moment, really his entire career to have the, the center stage to put up a huge game. I wouldn't be shocked if he went for 40. I think he's going to set the pace in this game. Wright State's going to fight to catch up. And because of that, I think they're going to blow by this 153 number. What do you think about these two teams? I know these are some squads that you've watched this year. Um, I think Bryant is probably due for a little bit of a positive regression on the offensive end. They actually have gone under in four straight games. Um, yeah, I like to play. I love Tanner Holden. He's um, a great look for Tanners everywhere. Um, and Bryant played really, really well down the stretch. So I'm going to be on the over with you. Awesome. All right, how about your playing game between two 11 seeds in Dayton? Rutgers versus Notre Dame. Um, Rutgers was a buzzsaw at home, but outside the rack or Jersey Mike's arena, um, <laughs> the Scarlet Knights melted. There were four and nine straight up away from home this season. That included losses to UMass, DePaul, Penn State, Minnesota, and Northwestern. Um, so I ask, you know, how will they perform in a neutral court setting? Um, Iowa dropped 1.24 points per possession in the Big Ten tournament matchup, a convincing 10-point Hawkeye win. 
but I was rolling right now. So I'm not sure if that's really telling of anything. The recipe for Rutgers is always the same. If they play good defense and they run the offense to Ron Harper Jr., the Scarlet Knights can beat anyone in the country. But I feel like so often they get away from that. Uh, they get caught up in Geo Baker mid-range fadeaways or Paul McKay assist numbers. And yeah, he dishes out tons of assists, but Harper needs to be the guy. Um, during that stretch at the beginning of last season when Rutgers started 7-1 and one, and we were all thinking Rutgers was the best team in the nation, Harper was scoring like 26 points a game. Then he got hurt and everything went to hell. Um, if Cliff Amori can outplay Atkinson and Nate on the interior, I think Rutgers can win this game. But I'm not super-duper confident in that happening. And Notre Dame's defense is really efficient, especially at the rim, where they're 13th nationally in defensive efficiency per shot quality. So I'll most likely find myself on Notre Dame in this spot. And looking at the market, all of the money is coming in on Rutgers, which honestly makes me like them less, considering the line is starting to move the other way. Whoever gets past this, though, I love against the spread and straight up against Alabama. The Tide have been inconsistent. They're high variance. They just are downright bad at worst. They have a 12 and 12 record since the Gonzaga win and the defense has just been poor. So I'll bet Notre Dame here and I'll bet whoever against Alabama moving forward. All right. I'm going to go on the record right now with Alabama because I agree with you. They're so high variance there in the round of 64, whoever comes out, whether it's Rutgers or Notre Dame, here's what I'm going to do. There's a middle on this bet that you could drive a Mack truck through. I don't care. I'm going to go Alabama minus 10, you know, get the juice on that. And then I'm going to go ahead and flip it around and take Notre Dame or Rutgers minus 10 with a huge payout because I just don't see it being a game that is, you know, one or two possessions. Either Alabama's threes are falling and they just blitz whoever they're playing or they shoot their way right out of the game. So that's how I'm going to play that individual game in the round of 64. I love As that. For my, thank you. I, I think I think it's a good angle. Listen, there's, there's really a good, few yeah. teams in the SEC that are Jekyll and Hyde, but really none more so than the Crimson Tide. All right, I'm going to go ahead and look at the last game of the play-in slate, which is Wyoming against Indiana. I think the Pokes are a live dog here. I'm going to take them plus 155 on the money line. There's a lot to like about Wyoming and really one particular element of how they play their game that I think could give Indiana some problems. So we'll start with overall big picture shot quality. They're the 30th ranked offense in the nation. They've also done it without being really lucky. You know, 238th in the nation, according to Ken Palm, which means that when they're playing other teams, when they get open looks, they're making them, they're getting to the foul line, they're making their shots, they're not the beneficiaries of some fluky, you know, play or shooting regression. On a personnel, you know, basis, they got Hunter Maldonado, first team, all Mountain West Conference. They got Graham Ike as well, second team, all Mountain West. And what those two players in particular do is they get into the half court scenario and no team in the country posts up more than Wyoming. So what that does is it puts a lot of pressure on the front line of their opponents and it can get people into foul trouble. They take a lot of foul shots. They take over 20 per game. And in this particular matchup, Indiana, for my money, they're only special when Trace Jackson Davis plays really well. They are a complete, you know, mediocre pedestrian team if he is not playing at that 20 and 10 level. So what can you do? You got to get him out of the game with fouls. When they played against teams that like to post up, you know, top 25, most posts up in the entire country, they played five of those opponents over nine games. A couple of them, they played multiple times in the Big Ten. They went four and five straight up, but that's not as much what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is Trace Jackson Davis averages just about two fouls per game, but in those games, he averaged 3.3 fouls per game. And in six of the nine, he went for three plus. 
So that is what I'm looking for here. You know, playing back to the basket, playing a little bit slower, forcing him to either have to play aggressive defense and risk the fouls or staying on the court with fouls and allowing them to, you know, back their way in and get some quality shots inside of 10 feet. I think this plays well for Wyoming. This number, I had it circled anything over, you know, plus 125. I was going to go ahead and play the folks. More than happy to get them plus 155. I'm not sure a lot of people watch them play out in the Mountain West this year. It was a great league top to bottom. There's some really good teams, so I think they're tested. I don't think they're going to be out of their depth against the Hoosiers, and I like them to advance here. What are your thoughts on the Pokes versus the Hoosiers? The first thing I saw was I was surprised that Indiana opened at, what was it, they're minus four right now. Kempop makes the spread plus one. Um, there's the values with Wyoming either way. Um, fading Indiana this year has been very painful for me. I always seem to be on the wrong side of them. So I don't, I, I'm going to have to do it again though. Yeah. I'm going to take plus four. Well, I'm glad that you're joining me on that one. Uh, we're going to close it up here with just a, a quick conversation about player pools. I know that there's a million different ways to attack your March Madness bracket. Some people like to do survivor pools, just picking the final four, filling out the old school bracket, fantasy player points. But let's focus in on just the player points, which for the audience, a quick primer. You're going to go ahead and you're going to draft players with the idea being every single point they accrue on the court throughout the tournament is a point to your total. So there's a bit of strategy you know that gets played in like peter kiss for example i mentioned him at the top average of 25 points per game he's more than likely only going to play one game in the field of 64 so you get that one shot then they get eliminated by a one seed so even if he goes and scores 33 points that may not be as valuable as taking a guy you know who's the fourth or fifth scoring option on gonzaga or you know a kansas or someone who you figure is going to have a deep run in the ncaa tournament so you have to balance those things out are there any players to you, if you were drafting, that are just absolute must-haves or maybe kind of a, a diamond in the rough who you'd consider adding to your squad? If I had the first overall pick in a player pool, I'd go Keegan Murray, one of the highest usage players in the Big Ten on the highest scoring and most efficient offense in the Big Ten. And Iowa is primed, I think, to make a run. I have them go in the Final Four in my bracket. I think the draw sets up well for them, and I think this offense is its just so – it's powering right now, and I think Murray is going to score 30 points a game, and Iowa's going to win a bunch. You know, what's interesting, a lot of these ratings that get you know put out there for free has Drew Timmy as the number one pick, and I'm always a little bit leery of grabbing those bigs who may get into foul trouble or may have some issues with you know, double teams on the low block. That's why if I was – you know in possession of the number one overall pick, I would probably go with Chet Holmgren just because I think this is an opportunity not only for him to carry them at times, but it's a showcase for him to be a lottery pick. You know, is he really a top 10 guy, you know, with his frame and things of that nature? And because he can take you out to 30 feet, there's only so many things defensively that you can do. Um, so I think his versatility is there. I really like, you know, your conversation there on Keegan because Iowa right now is hot as a pistol. And if they get through Kansas in, in that sweet 16, then you're sitting on probably the best asset for a player pool pick in the entire field. So I think it's a little bit risky, you know, not grabbing a one or two seed in that first round, but if you're going to go that way, Keegan Murray is someone who I could definitely get behind. Um, one final thought on this. Jaden Ivy is a player that most people would say is probably a top 15 pick in a player pool scenario like this. I'm worried, you know, coming out of that Big Ten tournament that he's banged up. He took a really hard spill in that game. And Purdue, 
not only do I think they should be on upset alert against Akron, they're also going to be playing against the Akron team that wants to really slow it down. So you could potentially get burned in two ways in, in the first round, which is playing a game in the low 60s with a guy who's hurt. So Jaden Ivey is just someone I you know, may want to steer clear of, at least from a, a pick at the 10 to 15 level in your draft. I also don't like Purdue's draw at all. I think I think that Virginia Tech's going to give them a lot of issues. For Tanner McGrath, I'm Mike Calabrese. This has been the Big Bets on Campus podcast. We just did a quick overview of the play-in games. If you're looking for our massive 64-team preview with every single gambling angle covered, it's going to drop late on Tuesday night. We're in the process of cooking it up right now, hitting uh, the airwaves late Tuesday night into early Wednesday morning. So check that out.